So you guys know, as you know, I, I would like to think as a as a pastor, I encourage you guys to, um, I encourage you guys to see the significance in studying God's word and reading His word. In a sense, once again, is like we're digging for diamonds and not raking leaves. That we want to get contextual understanding. We want to get objective understanding of what's being spoken about in God's word and. There's things that, of course, as Christians, we may come across that we may disagree on. Um, and there's things that we'll come across that, of course, more, hopefully more than not, that we'll agree on. But being mindful as well of the things that maybe we disagree on, that we don't, in a sense, break fellowship. And I think that I've hit home with that in the past few weeks with you guys and you know, certain topics of discussion that can promote good conversation, good growth within the body. But once again, things that I don't think that we should ever come across and go, you know what, you don't think the way that I think, therefore, I don't want to be around you or talk to you. That's not a, the way that Christians are called to be. And sadly, we can do that in the church. I think these days the church probably exalts too many things that I would deem as minor, um, and we overlook too many things in the ministry that I would deem as a major thing that needs to be taken more seriously. With all that being said, once again, I, I want to always encourage you guys to see the beauty of the whole Bible, of all of its entirety. And, you know, I, I try not to be too heavy in preaching out of the Old Testament or preaching out of the New Testament. What I want you guys to always come to understand is, is all 66 books of the Bible, once again, point to Jesus Christ and all have a value and a meaning that is indescribable. And I was speaking to uh, Brent this week about kind of the way that it was explained to me of how we should view the Bible, especially when it comes to the Old Testament and looking at the New Testament, is I heard a pastor once saying, you guys have probably seen these sets, and I don't know what they're called. You guys have probably seen them in movies and, and shows or commercials, but they're these like connector sets that have like, you, you drop a ball and it goes down a track and it goes in a bucket and it pulls a string and then all of a sudden one track sways over and drops the ball down and goes and all this and you have to build that set though right you have to piece it together and many times when we read stuff out of the old testament if we put ourselves back in the place of these individuals these authors these prophets these kings a lot of what's being exposed to them and said to them by the lord is the building of these sets so as we're piecing it together, we look at it, we probably have no idea what's going on. We look at it and we have no idea how this is going to work out or anything like that. Or why is he placing the bucket here? Why is he putting the track there? Why is this string there? All of these things. But the Old Testament is literally this buildup that's pointing to Jesus Christ. And finally, when you put the ball in the, in the beginning of the course and it starts to run its way down and you start to watch it go through the course and hit the bucket, hit the bell, pull the string, sway, all of a sudden this thing starts to take place. And all of a sudden these little contraptions and these little pieces of this set start to make sense on why they were placed where they were placed. And this is what the New Testament does to us in understanding the Old Testament. The Old Testament, as we said, is Christ concealed. The New Testament is what? Christ revealed. So there's a beauty and a significance, though, in understanding and reading all the books of the Bible. And books that sadly can be overlooked are in the Old Testament. Sometimes we can be very particular with the books that we like to read out of Scripture. But you truly get the meat and potatoes of what's being said in the other books by studying other books. 
I mean, guys, it, it, it's no secret to me that you could literally spend a year in one book. If you really wanted to dig enough, you could easily spend a year in one book. Maybe some of you, the way that you study and you like to break things down, you could probably spend a year in a chapter, right? I've heard pastors give sermons on a verse, speak an hour on a verse. I've heard pastors speak an hour on one word. So it's really just this calling for us to go in and unpack God's word. But in a, in a Bible or in a scripture or a book that I want to go into today, it's out of the, the minor prophets of scripture of the Old Testament. It's the book of Habakkuk. How many of you have read, studied the book of Habakkuk? Some of you may have referred to it as Habakkuk, different pronunciations. I'm going to have you guys go ahead and go to Habakkuk in the Old Testament. Minor prophet. The word minor here doesn't mean that they're less important. It just means that their writings are smaller in regards to the major prophets like Isaiah, Daniel, and Jeremiah. So you guys are going to go to the Old Testament. It might be a, a little difficult for you to find it. It's going to be towards the end of the Old Testament. You're going to see some smaller books, okay? And there's only three chapters in Habakkuk. But this book is significant for our understanding, especially when it comes to our faith in God. So I'm going to give you guys some time to find it. While you guys are turning and looking, I'm, I am going to give you guys some context here of what's going on. I'm not going to give you an exhaustive context, but I think, once again, the context is important so you guys can understand what is being said and what is going on. Because I think as we go through this, and I'm going to attempt to actually go through all three chapters. I'm not going to do this exhaustively. I'm not going to go probably verse by verse, but I am going to hit on some key points that I think are important for us to hear and to understand, especially for our, our teaching today. Um, as I said, Habakkuk was a prophet. Okay? He was a prophet during a time in Israel where Israel had pretty much just gone wild. The law was not being observed. They had a wicked king. The people were just living any way that they wanted to live. And Habakkuk, they believe, there's not a lot known about him, but they believe that he was a prophet for a pro probably roughly 20 years. So think about that. person that is hearing from the Lord, an intercessory for the Lord, speaking to the Israelites for 20 years and them not changing their ways. We can get irritated when we try to talk to someone after a week or a month or a year. This is a guy that's been doing it for, they believe, to be 20 years. Right? So you can already kind of see maybe the frustration that could well up in him. But Habakkuk here, the thing that sticks out about this writing as a prophet is, as many times when you read through the, the books where the prophets are, have written them, is they're usually speaking to the people after God has spoken to the prophet. And this is actually dialogue between the prophet and the Lord. And this prophet, Habakkuk, is actually complaining to God. And a question that he throws out that everyone in this room has thrown out to God is why? How many of you in this room have asked God why? I mean, it's a, it's a very humanistic trait that we have. I mean, if you really want to get honest as well, even our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, what does he say on the cross to his Father in heaven? 
Why, God? Why have you forsaken me? That human nature, fully God, fully man, but that human nature is exposed. A nature that we all carry and we all possess. And this is a man, once again, seeing Israel live in a wicked fashion, in a wicked way. And there's, there's much more context and background to this. But there is a challenge in this book that will challenge every one of you like it challenged me in our understanding and our perception of what it means to have faith in God, especially when we don't understand what's going on. You know, we stand in here and we sing praise and worship songs and, you know, all of us have stuff going on and things going on. And the question that can be posed, though, many times when we're singing these songs and we're praising the Lord, especially in the midst of us struggling with things, is so when we say we have faith in God, when we say that we trust in Him, I mean, let's be honest. Is there a picture of what that trust looks like? Is there a picture of what the end game looks like in the midst of our situations, in the midst of our troubles, in the midst of our trials? Lord, I'm thankful for you. I'm faithful. I trust and believe in you. But what does that trust look like? Do we have an identity of what, in the end, we're really expecting God to do in regards to how we want it done? And guys, we all struggle with this. I can struggle with it. We can walk around as Christians and say, I have faith in you, Lord. I trust in you, Lord. And that's definitely not a bad thing. But once again, Habakkuk is going to put us in a place and challenge us where do we truly trust and have faith in him for who he is, not necessarily for what he can do for us. And even more so, how it looks when it comes to what he does things for us or when he does things for us. And guys, I'm not standing up here to say that you're not called to go to your Father in heaven and ask him for things. Actually, the Bible commands us to do so. He wants us to come to him in prayer and petition, asking for things. He does. But once again, the question is going to stop and, and, and he is going to begin with the sense of, do you trust me if this doesn't look the way that maybe you think it should look? And that's an honest thing for us to ask ourselves. You guys have heard it said a lot of the times I hear it, I've said it myself as a Christian, right? Well, that's an answered prayer, right? You pray for something, you need something, whatever. It happens the way that you've been wanting it to happen, and what is our response? Well, that's an answered prayer. But I have to stop and really challenge that with, what if you pray to God for something to happen a certain way and it happens the exact opposite? Technically, show of hands, would that be an answered prayer? He's answering you. But maybe it's just not the way that you want it answered. Or sometimes we even go to the Lord and we petition Him for things to take place and happen because we don't like the way that things look or the way that they're going. And then God does answer us, but maybe He answers us in a way, once again, that's too much. And this is what you're going to find out with Habakkuk. We're going to go through here and we're going to unpack this, but you're going to find Habakkuk complaining about God's people not living in a way that they should live. And he's basically going to sit there and say, God, you're not doing enough. You're not doing enough for what's going on. 
then God is going to answer Habakkuk with what he's planning on doing. And then Habakkuk's response is, well, wait, Lord, that's too much. So we have to step back. We have to fall back once again when it comes to this why question. God wants us to bring our whys to him. But we have to stop and think about where is that why coming from? And does it bring us back to this place of truly understanding and trusting in a sovereign God? He's in control of everything. It's snowing outside right now. I know that disappoints some people in this room. Some people it makes happy. I'm joyful because it's snowing. But I heard a pastor once say to me, he goes, technically, if you complain about the weather, you're complaining about how God is running things. And I go, I like that. So for you folks complaining about the snow, you complain about how God, I'm, I won't pick on you. But think about it. Everything that's taking place, everything that's happening, God has ordained it to take place and happen. However, that doesn't mean that as his children, we can't come to him with these questions. But I'm here to tell you, God will make it known to you and give you answers. But sometimes those answers may not be the ones that you want. But guess what? God is answering you. And if anything, we spoke about this in the past, the joy sometimes in all of this is just the fact that the sovereign Lord in heaven hears our prayers. And is that good enough for us? But he allows us to wrestle with these things. He allows us to struggle with these things. Once again, to bring us to a place that I think is very important. To simply just sit back and trust in the Lord. So we're going to go through here. Once again, I'm going to do my best not to, to, to do this exhaustively. But I want to make sure that we look at the themes here and the, and the things that are being spoken about in this book. Because it's very important. And you guys are going to see things that Habakkuk says that you guys yourselves are going to stop and go, yeah, that's something I probably would have said. But even what the Lord says in response to him. So we have context, a general context of what's going on. This is a prophet. It's guesstimated for about 20 years in the midst of God's chosen people living in a way that's not for God anymore. Wicked king, wicked people. There's a remnant of faithful people, as we're going to see in this. There's always a remnant. Guys, when you read throughout the Old Testament, you'll see that word remnant. Very, very few people that will remain faithful with the Lord. But the majority, they don't. So Habakkuk, though, this is Habakkuk the prophet going to the Lord and complaining about what he's seeing. And his complaints are based around the fact that God isn't doing anything. It's this why. And once again, we've all just attested that we've been there before as his children, asking why. So starting off here at verse 1, it says the prophecy, some of your Bibles say the oracle or the burden that Habakkuk the prophet received. Some of your Bibles say saw. Um, these are just the word oracles, just a, a word of judgment, which there's oracles of woe, oracles of weal. There's good judgment, bad judgment, all that stuff. This is Habakkuk, though, basically just speaking out what God revealed to him and showed him in their discussion, in their dialogue. Opening up, this is Habakkuk's complaint. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? 
Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. There the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. So he's hitting the mark here. This law that you've given your people is being completely ignored. And we understand and know that the law was given to increase transgressions, but we also know that the law provides a sense of structure as well. For those who step outside of the bounds of the law, right, chaos ensues. This is a purpose for God giving this to his people. These people are not living within the confines of that law. The contract has been breached. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. We talked about this in Ecclesiastes. We've unpacked it in Job. Once again, if people live wrong, judgment should come to them. That is the mindset of the Old Testament Jew. People that live right get blessed. People that live wrong get judgment, get wrath. These people, these Israelites have been living wicked lives and there's been nothing. Habakkuk is ticked at God. The Lord's answer. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I'm going to stop there. I could do a sermon on that line in itself, but I'll spare you. I am doing a work in your days that even if I told you, you would not believe. We as Christians, we as people think we want to know why. We think we want to know how, and we think we want to know the end result of things. I'm up here to tell you, if we had to be honest, we don't. And even if we did, we wouldn't believe it if it was told to us. Because the Lord is going to go through here, and he is going to inform Habakkuk of the work that he's going to do. And it is completely contrary to what Habakkuk in his mindset should be done. And this is something that we even struggle with today as Christians. This is something that can conflict with what we believe should take place and happen when it comes to this sovereign, powerful God working in our lives. But I'm going to continue here. I am raising up the Babylonians. Some of your Bibles say Chaldeans. Same group used interchangeably. That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at the fortified cities by building earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and they go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. Habakkuk's complaining about wicked people living wicked lives that are God's chosen people and God's not doing anything about it. 
God's response is, I'm doing something about it. And what is he going to do about it? He is going to raise up a ruthless people to go through and to sweep and conquer Israel. Now let us step back from our fluffy answered prayers and think, how would we respond to that kind of answer from God? I don't even care if you guys sound out some stuff to me. Does this go somewhat in contradiction to maybe at times what we would think that God would do when it comes to praying to Him for an answered prayer? Lord, this is taking place in my life and you don't seem to be doing anything about it. I mean, I'm watching wickedness take place. I'm, you can see it in Habakkuk's talking in his voice. It's kind of this centered, me-centered. I'm watching this, I see this, and there's nothing being done. And the Lord's response, oh, I'm doing something. And even if I told you what it is that I'm doing, you wouldn't believe it. But I'm going to give you a hint. I'm raising up this ruthless people. And he goes through and he lists why these people are ruthless. Now I have to step back and think, how would I be if I was Habakkuk? Well, I would be exactly the way that Habakkuk responds. His response isn't one of faith and acceptance and understanding. His response is, guess what? Another complaint. So he's still questioning the why on what's going on. He goes on to say, Habakkuk's second complaint, Lord, are you not from everlasting? He's actually questioning the characteristics of God. If you're this good, good God, why would you let these things happen? This is a primary argument that we hear today as Christians, right? Even Christians struggle with this if their doctrine's not right. If their theology and their understanding of God of the Bible isn't right, they're going to wrestle with this. If you're a good, good God, why would you allow bad things to happen? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Habakkuk is thinking that God is going to tolerate the treacherous. He's tolerating evil and he's doing the exact opposite. Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in the dragnet. So then he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Habakkuk goes back to the Lord with a complaint trying to remind God who he is. Think about that. And I ask you to think about that because guess what? Maybe many, if not all of us in here, have done that ourselves. Why, God? 
If you are a good and holy, just God that loves your creation, why would you allow these things to happen? You're not doing anything. Look at my life. Look at what's going on. You are literally indirectly saying that if you had it your way, you would probably do it a better way. Am I right or wrong? It's pretty much what we're saying. Habakkuk is pretty much saying the same thing. He even sits here and says, he goes, Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? He's looking at God's chosen people and seeing them as more righteous than the wicked people that are coming in. However, I don't believe God sees it that way. God sees the transgressions of the Israelites as being something far more wicked because they are people that have the law. They are people that should, in essence, know better. They are people that are being openly and willingly disobedient. I'm just using these treacherous, wicked people as a means of my judgment and an instrument of my judgment to bring things back into proper alignment. Once again, this is a test to some of our theology, some of our doctrine. You're telling me that God uses judgment or wickedness as an instrument for righteousness. He does. He does. He does it on a micro or a macro level and a micro level. Guess what? If you are living lives of disobedience to the Lord and you profess to be a Christian, we've talked about this last week, or even people that don't know God, but you're out doing things and living in a way that's crazy and nuts and worldly. We've talked about the whole reaping what you sow, right? You can have things take place and happen because God loves you and will allow those things to take place and happen. He will use His justice in your life as a means of mercy in your life. Some of us in here, if not all of us, either know someone or it's ourselves when we look in the mirror that the only way we actually do listen is when we get slapped upside the head. I mean that in a spiritual sense, not a physical one. Maybe some of you it would be physical. Like we think we know what's best. We think we know what's right. Or we expect God to kind of alter and to do things the way that we want him to do it. And when he doesn't do it, we look at him and we say, why? All natural things to do. But I'm here to tell you, once again, when you go to him with that earnest and honest heart in the midst of that, he'll answer your prayer. He's probably, though, not going to answer it every time the way that you think that he might. And this is a situation right here that we're reading about. You're raising up evil people? That's not the answer that I wanted. I mean, do something over here and that. You're doing too little. Oh, wait, God, now you're doing too much. The Lord answers to Habakkuk. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation. Well, I'll start off here at chapter 2. I'm sorry. And this is even important, too, that what Habakkuk does. He says, I'll stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. This is pretty much Habakkuk just saying, I'm going to sit on my perch and I'm going to wait for God to give me an answer or to even answer me the way that I would like him to answer me. 
I'm just going to sit and wait. I've said my complaints. I've grumbled against the Lord. Now I'm just going to sit and wait for him. Well, the Lord gives him an answer. Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Guys, God may not come when you always call him, but I guarantee he is always on time. How often do we get angry at the Lord because we don't think that he's doing things even in our time frame? We pray and we pray and we pray and it just seems like it's not happening once again the way that I think it should happen in the time and the order that I think it should happen. God's sitting here letting Habakkuk know, oh, it'll happen and it won't delay. It's going to come when I need it to happen. It's going to happen when I want it to happen because guess what? That's the right time for it to happen. Why? Because I am God and you are not. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. So this is the Lord speaking about the Babylonians. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the people. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey because you have plundered many nations. The people who are left will plunder you. Once again, he's speaking about the Babylonians here. He's kind of informing Habakkuk what's going to take place with these individuals in due time. For you have shed human blood, you have destroyed lands and cities and every one in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many people, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I want to continue and read this out because it feeds into what goes on in chapter 3 here. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it's your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. Your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood, you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to a lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. I'm going to recap before we go into three here because this is important. 
Habakkuk, a prophet, sees God's people living against the Lord, outside of the law. The covenant has been breached. In Habakkuk's mind, since the covenant's been breached, there needs to be judgment. There's no judgment. At least to Habakkuk, he doesn't see it. These people are living crazy, wild lives. Habakkuk goes to the Lord. 20 years of doing this, goes to the Lord, complaining. These people are wicked, they're crazy, you're not doing enough to fix this. The Lord replies, oh, I'm doing something, but if I even truly reveal everything that I'm going to do, you wouldn't believe it. But I'm going to raise up a wicked people, a people that you know about, to actually run and conquer Israel. And these people are crazy. They are wicked. They destroy everything. Guys, the Babylonians were known to destroy every living thing. They destroyed trees. They destroyed livestock, crops. They completely decimated towns, villages, countries. That is the response that he gives Habakkuk. That's what I'm doing. I'm answering your prayer. I'm revealing to you the things that I'm going to do to make things right. Habakkuk doesn't accept that. He struggles with that answer. This is something that even puts our faith to the test as Christians today. It, it puts our understanding of how God operates and how he functions to the test today. I sat there, and you know, it's not a popular doctrine. It's not a popular theology to sit there. And when you speak about biblical faith in God, to go, you know what? I don't know what God is doing. I just understand what he's done for me, and I know what he's promised to do for me in eternity. And is everything in between that well with my soul? And we've spoken about this. We've spoken about this when it comes, we talked about it last week, when it comes to our physical lives, when it comes to our bodies, when it comes to the ailments, the losses that we suffer, the things that we see. We spoke about it in Ecclesiastes, right? The author speaking about, you know, I know people believe in the time that if you do good, that good happens, and if you do bad, bad happens. But Lord, in my lifetime, I've seen good people be stricken with disease and I see bad people flourish in their life. This is completely contradicting to what it is that I thought life should be like. God allows us to see these things, to go through these things, to understand and to truly put us in a place where do we have faith and trust in who he is? Not what can he do for us. I was speaking to Brent again yesterday, and I said, you know, it's like me driving in my car, and I have a kid with me, a child, that has no idea how the car works. They don't know what the gas pedal does. They don't know. Guys, I remember when I was a kid, I used to think the car knew where we were going because when my parents would drive, I probably shared this with you guys in the past. When you're a little kid and you're either sitting in the back seat or the front seat, I could never see my parents flicking the turn signal. But I would watch the blinking arrow on the dash, and I'm like, how does the car know that we're going to turn where we're going to turn? Because I would see the arrow, the arrow blink, but I could never see like my parents flicking the thing. So I just thought the car was like really smart, landed smiling at this. Do you, do you still do this, land? Okay, you don't. Anyways, I, I, I would be amazed by it. But I had no idea what the car was doing, how it worked, or any of that. But here's something that I will tell you. I was in a car with my parent, and I didn't even need to know half the time where I was going. I just knew that being in the car with them, my faith was in a place in them where 
we were going to go to wherever we were going and it was okay with me that we were going to get there. I didn't need to know how the vehicle was driven. I didn't need to know what the turn signal was doing. I didn't need to know what pedal did what. I didn't need to know any of that. I just sat there and I just trusted in my parent to get me to where it was that we were going. Even if I didn't know where it was. But here's the deal, as Christians, we know where we're going. We understand what's been promised to us and we understand, we don't have a blind faith. I hear that said in the church all the time. We don't have a blind faith. We have God's word laced with fulfilled prophecies, writings of encounters that have been testified, historical documents that have been verified in this book, a gospel message that we've heard and has affected our hearts, which then has affected our lives. I don't have a blind faith. I trust and understand and know that this is truth. And as Christians, we need to make sure that we align ourselves in that space, in that place. And are we there as people? Do we have expectations on what this looks like when it comes to our relationship with God, when we pray to Him, when we ask Him for things? He wants us to do that. I mean, this morning is a, is a beautiful example for me. Dax is in the hospital. I, I could easily just sit there and, and in my flesh go, well, Lord, I don't get this. I mean, we went through this with his autism and all that stuff. Like, this was stuff that we would, we would wrestle with. Or have an expectation of how this looks when it's all said and done. Oh, I pr I, I'm praying for his healing. I want him to be good. I want him to be okay. But at the end of the day, I don't know what's going on. I, I have no answer. My wife hasn't sent me a message. Like, I, I, I don't know anything. But guess what that does with my, my faith in the Lord? It reminds me of who he is, which in return reminds me of who I am. I just have to put trust and faith in him. Well, stop right there. What does that look like? Does that mean my trust and faith means that he's going to be okay? I would like for that to be the thing, but guys, I'm not going down this place, but what if he wasn't? What if he wasn't okay? What would I then do? Like your brain goes to these things. And he allows us to come to this place to meet him in that place. And it's a beautiful place to be at, actually. It truly is. Like he uses hardship to bring us to our knees to come to see him in the way that he truly wants us to see him. So then there's this beautiful thing here that takes place with Habakkuk in the final chapter, guys. And it's a beautiful thing that I want you to think about because... He hears what the Lord has said to him. Destruction is coming. Right? Destruction is coming. What is Habakkuk's response? Some of your Bibles say prayer. It's actually, it's a song as well. He sings to God. So as I'm studying this this week and I'm reading and I'm putting myself kind of in this place where I'm like, okay, how would I be? What would I respond? Da, da, da. 
If I'm being told that my land is going to be overrun by a wicked people, would I be in a place and a space to sing to God? Oh. Now, we easily right now could go, oh, I wouldn't do that. You don't know unless you're there. And this is why it's beautiful to understand what it means to have biblical faith in the Lord. Because when you're there, He's there with you. Because I guarantee Habakkuk in chapter 1, he probably wouldn't have thought he would sing to this news. Listen how he was sounding to the Lord. You're doing nothing. You've been doing this 20 years. You haven't done a thing. Lord gives his response. He's singing. I mean, this is three chapters of literally a beautiful snapshot of what biblical faith looks like. And it isn't for us to look and examine and to compare and contrast and go like, like nope, I'm definitely not Habakkuk. Guys, we've talked about this in, this in this ministry for a long time. There is no such thing as a great person of God. Just people that are weak that understand their need for Him. There, we are just weak people that understand our need for Jesus Christ. And we tend to see Him the most when we come to an end of ourselves. And when do we tend to come to the end of ourselves? When we got stuff like this going on in our life. And instead of throwing up our hands and just living in the why God, why? He can bring us to a place to go, listen, remember who I am. Remember what I've done for you and remember what I've promised. I'm listening to your cries as well. I hear your cries because I love you. And in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'll comfort you in the midst of that. He's saying this to Habakkuk right here. You have a vision or an idea of what this needs to look like. You need to just pick out some people that are living awkwardly or outside of the law and judge them and all that. But Lord, leave everything the same. Lord's like, I don't do things that way. I'm not doing it this way in this situation. So in chapter 3, I know I said I was going to try not to do this exhaustively, which I could unpack every verse, but we're going to read through this. And guys, I'm going to read this to you, but I want you guys to take it as it's being spoken about, a prayer, a song. I want you guys to close your eyes as I read this to you. And I want you to just be quiet and listen to what Habakkuk is saying in this prayer. And I want you guys to remember the context of what's being spoken about. I want you guys to think about your own lives as well, what you've been through, what you're going through. And guys, I'm going to have to stand up here and promise you things that you'll go through in the future. And I want you to understand and see Habakkuk's response to what God has told him. Like, Lord, I'm... Not you. You're who you are. You are God Almighty. And I am simply who I am. A creature that you've called me a child. So verse 3, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. It's also referred to as a shigianoth, which just basically means a song or to sing. 
you guys will please just close your eyes. Lord, I have heard of your fame and I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. And in wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One, from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise, rays flashed from His hand, where His power was hidden. Plague went before Him, pestilence followed His steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and He made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows, you split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by and deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens. The glint of your flying arrows at the lighting of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people. You save to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us. Gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Guys, I want to read that to you again. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. Guys, he just gave there at the end the vision of what it's going to look like in Israel when the Babylonians run through. The calamity that he described. And what does he say at the end? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And guys, this word rejoice is used in response to times of hardship. It's what we're called to do as Christians in times of hardship. Not times of joy and when things are going great, but our response when things are hard. 
Why do we rejoice in God? Because we know that God is greater. We know that whatever it is He's doing, we trust in what He's doing because we know what He's done and what He's promised to do for us in eternity. We know who we are with Him as His children through Jesus Christ. The earth may fail. My body may fail. The world may go to pot. But what is the Christian's posture? Rejoice. Rejoice in God. I will be joyful in God my Savior. He goes on in 19, The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. God is the one that keeps us sure-footed in an unstable world. Yeah. We don't allow you to speak. You're good. You can talk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he gave, like, Noah all the time Noah was building the ark. He was given that time for people to repent. Mm-hmm. All that time. It was like hundreds of years. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So guys, I mean, this is the message here in Habakkuk. This is what I want you guys to take home with you today. And this isn't, once again, these, these sermons aren't ones to make you stop and go, I, I'm nowhere in the realm of this. We are told in the New Testament that we have the Old Testament to read for our encouragement today as Christians to see that these individuals, these prophets, they hear from the Lord that they go through struggles far greater than probably anything we could comprehend. And in the midst of those struggles, they may question, they may struggle, but their ending posture is what? Trusting in God. Rejoicing in the Lord in the midst of some very hard times and some struggles. Understanding and knowing that I don't know what you're doing. And honestly, if you told me, I don't know if I would believe it. I don't understand it. I just know who you are and that's good enough for me. You are the sovereign God, the savior of my life. And I'm gonna put my hope and trust in you because of what you've done and what you've promised to do. Amen.
Awesome. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just give you thanks for your word. Lord, I give you thanks for words of the prophets of old, Lord, to be able to, to go back and to have these words minister to our hearts, to put us in a place where we do examine ourselves, where we examine our understanding of who you are, who your word says that you are, Lord, that you never fail us, you never let us down. Even if things are, are in a way or seem a way that, that's taking place today or even tomorrow, that you're always working, that you're never silent, that you're never not doing anything. You're always working. And in your sovereignty and your grace and your mercy and your love, that even the things that we see as wicked are being worked out for a good that we may not understand or see right now. But we just trust in you, Lord. So, Lord, I pray over the people in this room today, Lord, that if they're going through something and they've been asking why, to remember that even your son had a moment where he asked that question. But Lord, even in that moment, you still fulfilled the very things that you promised. And that is where we put our hope and promises today, Lord. So I pray that people see you for who you are, not for what you just simply say you can do, that they trust in the character of who you are, that all of creation is working by your hand of providence, and that there's a reason behind why you do the things that you do and a purpose. But more than anything, we just trust in who you are because you are our Father in heaven. And Lord, we just give you thanks for your mercy and your grace in every day of our life. The fact that we are able to just wake up today, Lord, is a means of your mercy and grace in our life. So Lord, I pray for peace over the individuals in this room. I pray for them to see you in the midst of whatever it is that they're going through. Not just praying for things to be removed, but to find you and to see you in the midst of anything and everything that they're going through. It is in your name, Jesus Christ, that we pray these things. Amen. Awesome. You guys have a good day.